really, uh, really lovely to be with you. Um, I, th- I think, I've got glasses somewhere, here they are. I think you're possibly the sweetest group of leaders I've ever been with. I don't mean that in any kind of, I don't know, sweet is a funny word, but there's just something so sweet about what God is doing among you and the fellowship that you have and um, uh, the vulnerability and the hunger. And it's, it's very, very real. Amongst a lot of leaders' circles, there can be a lot of, you know, ultimately it's a kind of posturing, isn't it, I suppose. But I just feel so uh, honoured, really. Just who you are has ministered to me. It's just really nourished me. So um, we're... We're a multi-site church, but we're not a network. We're just at the beginning of our network journey. And if we've got half of what you've got relationally in 10 years, I'll be doing cartwheels. You can just feel it in the room. And, and actually, that is a deeply spirit-filled concept. A lot of spirit-filled people aren't very good at, at the, the human aspect of building church. So a lot of spirit-filled churches, and this is part of Spirit and Word Collide, really, a lot of spirit-filled churches can be very dysfunctional relationally because they spend all their time concentrating on, on the presence. But actually, we are being built together for God to become a dwelling place by his spirit. And so the absolute zenith, the, the perfection of church is when the human relationships are of high caliber and the relationship between that body and the glory and the presence of God is of a, of a high caliber. I believe that's where you see revival. And uh, so you, you, we cannot reach maturity by hiding in a room and praying in tongues, can we? Um, in our church, we use the phrase, uh, um, for our church, we, we say we live life in circles, not rows. In other words, if you're in rows, you're not in church. Only in circles when I can see the ketchup on your chin, am I doing church with you? Because we live our, by our modern design of church, we live it in rows, and we say that's not church. That's celebrating church, but church is circles. It's meal tables. It's small, smaller groups, dynamic ones, hopefully not ones where we just eat cake and complain about the sermon. Um, but but very you know kind of real and dynamic. So I really you really have and I'm I don't say this so I'm not doing a preacher's ending comment of how lovely it's been. You really have ministered to me in the atmosphere and the relationships of who you are. And I do hope actually as we get a little bit further on than we are now that you'll be able to come and tell us how you've built this. Because the crazy thing about leadership is to think that things happen by accident. You've obviously done something on purpose. What, what, you know the difference between. A wild countryside and a garden is huge. There's lots of similarities, but someone's cultivated it and turned it into something uh, that's kept the weeds away and kept the the right things flourishing. So I just I feel very very honoured to be with you, and I just hope I've I've served you okay, and I hope I can serve you okay for this last little bit. Uh, Exodus 33, and um, I was going to do something more leadership ish but then I'm not I just feel like everything that God's doing with you is to do with his presence and him moving among us so I hope I can encourage you a bit more in that this morning I love the story of Moses and the tent of meeting so let's use that for a moment I'll read it and we'll just keep flowing with God Exodus 33 verse 7 Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the law would go out to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents. 
watching Moses until he entered the tent. It's really good that people observe that as leaders, we're very prayerful. This, they, they, went, they went and watched him go and pray. They, I, think, I think over the last 20, 30 years, churches have become very leader-driven in the sense of what skills we use. But church is meant to be prayer-driven. You know, when they came to the apostles, look, we've got all these Grecian widows and the feeding program. They, now, they said some of that we would take as an opportunity to show how servant-hearted we are, maybe. But they turned around and go, well, we're not waiting on tables. We've got to pray. And we'd kind of look down on that now. But I believe, especially for our senior leaders, we need to release them to pray. We need to say, look, take a month off and pray. Don't take a month off and go visit the world's churches and come back with 100 ideas. Go and visit the throne room and come back with power. It's very different. So my sabbatical last summer, I didn't really, I visited a couple of places for a day here and a day there, but I had two months off and I said, all I want to do for two months is listen and wait and linger and hang out. And for me, the culture of the presence and the power of God is birthed from that place. It's, it's the little trickle right at the temple that turns into a torrent way down the road. But somebody has got to be a leader, has to break rank. And go find where that trickle starts. And go, right, I'm going to find God in my city, my church, my movement. Uh, whenever Moses went out to the tent, verse 8, all the people rose and stood to the entrance of the tents, watching Moses till he entered the tent. As Moses, I love this, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. In other words, God would lock him in. You ever heard the, the old, it's an old Penty song, so you probably won't if you're properly saved. It's... Uh, it used to go, shut in with God in the secret place, thereby his presence beholding his face, gaining more power to run in the race. I longed to be shut in with God. And it was, he would go in and God wouldn't let him out. He shut him in. And the Lord spoke to Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the, to the tent, um, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to his tent. So I'm getting more messages as I read it than I've really got to say. Keep going, Cooper. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. Just listen to this because we'll pick up on this later. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. It's where young leaders are birthed. Um... When, in 1990, when I went to, to Bible school, um, I remember it was one Thursday night, November 1990. I'd been at the Bible school about a year. I was a worship leader. It was a, it was a Thursday night, and the student body gathered to, to, um, to, uh, for a meeting to worship and uh, preach, teach of some sort. And, and I remember it was, it was like God just rolled into the room where we were. I was, I was on the keyboard and, and um, the run sheet, not what time, and uh, we just sang in tongues for about half an hour and just ev everybody on their faces on the ground. And it was the, the thick sense of God's presence. It really was that. If, if people can't theologically grasp God walking in a room, it's because they've never experienced it. But I've experienced omnipresent God and then, but then he just walked in the room and he walked in the room and I, I was terrified. I was, it was of another order than I'd ever experienced up to that point in my life and my little internal prayer as a 19, 20 year old was, well, what shall I do? What, God, what shall I do? You're here. What shall I do? And uh, he just said to me, come away. 
And that was Thursday, and I managed to book the Bible school's little prayer flat in Shea, West Sussex, which they had. And amazingly, it was free the Friday, Saturday afterwards. So I, I went out to Shea in West Sussex, this little flat. It was freezing cold. Uh, I want to use the word dingy. It wasn't a particularly nice flat, right? So I was there. It was cold. I stuck on everything that I could find that would provide heat, you know, candles, a cooker, three, I remember kneeling down by the three bar fire in the little lounge, you know, that's what I mean, and, and as I knelt, and all I had was a pad, a pen, and a Bible, and as I knelt, that same glory rolled into that little flat, and God just began to speak to me about my life, and, and I, for eight hours, he just spoke to me about my life, who I was. He corrected me. He encouraged me. He told me of the things I'm doing that I'm doing now. And I was just snot and tears. I just wrote snot. If you saw the books, they're all smeared with stuff. And, you know, and I'm writing for eight hours. He spoke and spoke and spoke and spoke. Um, I got up next day, went back to Bible school. I thought, well, that's, you know, amazing two days. What's going to happen now? I went into my room at the Bible school. As I closed the door, the glory of God came into my room again. I just turned up my face. Four hours, he just spoke to me and spoke to me and spoke to me. For three, four months, about four hours a day, his glory would just come into my room. He would just speak and speak and speak. Moses had a tent like that. Where something in Joshua was formed that made him the man who could take the children in. It formed something in him. And I, I believe this morning, um, God is releasing you as a movement into a time of shut in with God. When waiting, being still, and even not filling our prayer meetings with prayer for revival, but just listening. Let him speak. You know, if people want to know how on earth do you, I love to pray. I pray two days a week. How on earth do you pray for eight, nine hours at a time? I said, well, he does most of the talking. That's how you pray for eight and eight hours at a time. You just let God speak. And you listen. And he forms your life. And, but all of that does something in us. And I believe today as we come to a close, I want to pray for the release of an anointing that will send many of you up the mountain. I have seasons. It's not always, but I have seasons in my life when it's just easier to pray than not to. Who longs for that? Because I have the other ones. And blooming it, this is boring, right? But I love it when he comes and he says, come, come up. And he lifts us on eagle's wings to himself. Exodus 19. And he said, right, I'll bring you to me because I want to put something in you for the next stage. I love when the Holy Spirit came upon uh, Saul as he was preparing to become king. Samuel said to him, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll be turned into a different person. The phrase actually means you'll be turned into the next man. I don't know about you, but for my next season, I need to become the next man because the last man won't do. And how does he do that? He overwhelms us by his presence and he, he puts something into us that transforms us. And so even as we, we talk openly and with vulnerability about uh, what we want God to do, I don't know about you, I, I, I also know that I have so many inconsistencies that even when I declare it, I'm not quite sure I can do it. Anybody with me? Right. So let, let, me, let me share with you if I can, and we're going to take a little bit of a journey for a moment and head somewhere else, and, and then we're going to land back here where we've started because there's something in 
being in God's presence like never before. And I've gone through seasons in my life and never have I set aside a week, a month, a couple of months to be in God's presence and just meet him and not walked away with power, strategy, and essentially inside this broken man becomes the next man for the next season. I have found the presence of God to be the most transforming thing. Theoretical Christianity will not change the world, but men who blaze for God. Musicians, when you've been in his presence, when you've been to heaven, come on, you can feel it. When you've been to heaven, when a musician plays, heaven comes to earth. There's something that happens when we go there that transforms us. But let's take a slightly different journey. Let's fast forward a little bit to Joshua chapter 1, where this Joshua is now about to take the people in. And uh, I want to bring you uh, what I believe is a truth of the kingdom. And we've kind of been landing on it all weekend, so, but, but I just want to emphasize it again. I want to bring you a truth of the kingdom. I want to tell you some stories. Um, then I'm going to uh, confess something to you and be a little bit real because that always helps us. And then I want to bring you what I believe is the secret for stepping into what God wants to do next. So first, the, the truth. Here's a reality for our lives. In Joshua 1, we find Joshua is about to take the children of Israel into the promised land, a thing that the previous generation failed to do. And four times there's a, a phrase or a very similar phrase that's, that's spoken through Joshua 1, isn't it? You're going to know it really well. God says again and again, verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Verse 7 repeats himself, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to it from the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Third time, okay, are we getting it? Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Do not be afraid is a huge part of entering our promised land. And then by the end of the chapter, the people are repeating back to the leaders the word of God. That's when you know when leadership culture is working, the people are echoing God's voice. We're all saying the same thing, right? And they say, whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever, make, uh, whatever you may command them will be put to death. I kind of like that. Should we preach that a bit more often? Anyway, and then they end with only be strong and courageous. Here's my thought. All the things we long for, we dream for, we desire are impossible without boldness. Boldness is a part of the kingdom that we're in. In 1996, I encountered the glory of God and I had a, a vision of the United Kingdom. I was in South Africa at the time, but I saw the glory of God hitting the United Kingdom, the glory of God hitting Parliament, the glory of God on our streets, people getting out of wheelchairs, signs of wonders taking place, marketplaces filled with people experiencing God, walking around drunk in the spirit saying, what must I do to be saved? We've seen some of these things, but I believe the glory of God is going to hit our royal family. It's going to hit the media. The presence and the power of God is going to begin to shape our nation in a way that's never been done before. He's, he's coming to touch our nation. Doesn't mean that we won't need to wear deodorant, okay? Don't get a utopian view of what that's going to be like. People will still have arguments. We'll still have to change nappies and we'll have to tell our stewards sometimes, please wear deodorant. <laughs> but in amongst that reality of life, God's coming. But here's the thing with all the stories, I don't know about you, they require boldness. In order to live the life, to, 
tie ourselves to that bowsprit and go, I lived. Because I don't know about you. I don't want to get to heaven with polished armor. I want to get to heaven with used armor. You know what I mean? When we're getting to the end of time and we're marching through the pearly gates, I believe there's going to be thousands in lovely neat rows, you know, in their lovely polished armor. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Come on. Oh, when the saints go. Oh, we made it, Jeremy. In. I'm going. And they'll, they'll be marching in to the presence of God. Look how shiny. Look at our songs. Aren't they nice? But you won't find me in that crowd. I'll be a little bit late, probably be busy doing something else on the horizon covered in dust you'll see someone with a helmet of salvation half off their head do you know what I mean a little bit of a sword left half of a shield blood up my legs I'll be running and I'll run through the pearly gates made it I made it I used everything he gave he said we would do greater things than he did he said we would raise the dead so I give it a go he said open deaf ears open blind eyes so we went for it he said move mountains so we tried it I may have failed here and there, but I saw God break through. Why? Because I didn't want to sit around polishing my armor in church. I wanted to get out and change the world with the sort of truth that God's given us. To get out by the power of the Holy Spirit and just try some stuff and see if God would come through. Because I believe the kingdom lives in boldness. We, we lead our church and we design it based around the Great Commission. Because I think sometimes we think the Great Commission is for evangelists. It's not. It's how to build church. Go into all the world. It's not a place to gather. It's a place to go from. It's not our seating capacity. It's our sending capacity. Right? He said, make disciples. We run church services. When it should feel like a training school, not a place that runs projects and services. So we base it around that. To go into all the world, make disciples. He said, baptize them. I don't know about you. Sometimes I think Christianity can be dumbed down in our culture until we kind of, we sprinkle. We don't immerse. But I don't know about you. The only way to get into the kingdom is to go all out bold and go, right, we're, we're going for it. If you I used to pray for people in wheelchairs like this, if I'm honest. I used to walk up and go, well, you know, if it doesn't happen, I don't want anybody to find out. So I quietly go up and put my finger on their shoulder. Come on, come on, Jesus. But I just found that complete lack of boldness never released a miracle. It's when you walk up to them and go, come on then, let's give it a go. Stand up with me. Something begins to happen. On Sunday night, there was this lovely old bloke with a, with a walking stick. And he, he walked up to me and, uh, and I said, shall I pray for you? He says, and, and, and do you want your leg healed? Because uh, something right. He said, oh yeah, no, that's why I'm here. All right then. Give me the walking stick. And I whipped it off and said, start to move then. Start to move. And he's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. There's something about whipping the walking stick out of their hand and saying, start to move. That's completely different to, well, maybe Jesus, if you say, Lord, we thank you for this man and the fact that he comes to church every Sunday. And you know. I, I think something, we pray ourselves back into unbelief. Then we sit there after three months, after three weeks, uh, sorry, after three minutes, going, I wonder if anything's happening. Oh, no, nothing's happening. Outside, we look like men of God. Inside, we're going, nothing's happening. I think we should pray for about 20 seconds and then go, is anything happening? Try it now. And, you know, I, I, I prayed for somebody with two bad legs once, and after, after 30 seconds, I go, right, start to move. And, you know, he could move one leg. So I thought, well, that's a good start. Now let's do the other one. In other words, when God starts to do a bit, jump on it. Don't just go, well, that'll do. No, he started. Leap on that thing. Right? It, it requires boldness to enter these places that we long to see. Let me tell you some stories of some of my friends. I've got a friend called James. He's a remarkable uh, man of God, prophet. 
And he, he would teach the, the kind of miraculous healing stream of a large American, quite famous Bible school. And once a term, he'd get all the students together from the whole of the, of the university. They'd pull them together and they'd have a miracle meeting. They'd be back. 500, 600 people turn up for the healing service. And he would have taught his class of about 30 how to move in word of knowledge and, and creative miracles and stuff like that. And, and he stood uh, at the front of this, this kind of, uh, I think they did it every quarter. He stood at the front of this meeting and God just says to me, to, said to him, there's 30 people here that need creative miracles. Tell them to come forward right now. I'm going to heal them. So he gives a word. There's people here that need creative miracles, stuff you've been born with. And I want you to come. There's 30 of you come right now. 30 people come to the front. And the students start going, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the feet are kind of popping back into place and stuff's clicking back and stuff's appearing. People are starting to see as, as they pray for them. And he went to the one on the end and it was a girl and she was severely disfigured around one side of her face. It was as if she'd been burnt, but she hadn't. It was a birth defect. And he walked up to her and he put his hand out to pray for her. And of course, at first she... Because she's not used to people going anywhere near her face. So, and then she remembered why she'd come forward. And you know, go on then. All right. So she, she leaned in. She's about, I think, 17, 18 years old. And he put his hand on that side of her face. And he said this. As I put my hand there, I saw the arm of Jesus reach over my shoulder. And his hand went through my hand. And I felt her face turn to putty under my hand. And when I pulled my hand away, there was a perfectly formed face. She fell to her knees, weeping, crying. I knew you'd do it, Jesus. You told me when I was, I think it was five. You told me when I was five that you would heal me. And I knew you'd do it. There she was healed. Isn't that incredible? The stuff that God does. I've got a friend called Paul. And he, he was learning to hear God's voice about 17 years old. Learning to hear God's voice in his quiet time. And, and fairly new to all the things of the Spirit. And, and he was praying, and, and God said to him in his quiet time, you're going to pray for someone with a bad back on the streets today. And he's like, oh, okay. He said, I want you to anoint them with oil. He thought, all right then. So he went to the garage and got some oil. <laughs> and he heads out onto the streets of Bath. And he's going around Bath going, you know, a little bit like we saw this morning. If you're looking for a bad back, you'll find one after, you know, fairly soon. But anyway, he's walking around Bath. Have you got a bad back? No, have you got a bad back? Eventually, he finds a woman outside a Chinese restaurant with a bad back. Excuse me, have you got a bad back? Yes. Well, can I pray for you? Uh, as she says, what most people say when you offer to pray for them. Oh, yes, okay. Yes, please. And he said, well, actually, can I pour some of this on your head? <laughs> and she still said yes. So he said, well, let's go around the corner then. And they went around the corner and he poured a bit of the oil on her head and she was healed. I, 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 love, I don't know about you, I love stuff like that. I've got a friend called Roma, a, a network that we're connected to and out of various parts of the world, but she's in Australia. And she started the Melbourne City Gospel Choir. And she's a great prophetic worship leader and songwriter, but she does a lot of stuff on, on TV and things like that. And her choir was once on a primetime show. I think it was a Christmas show, something like that. And it was just before the show was about to air live. And, and the producers come running over to her dressing room and says, Roma, you've got to come and see. And it was this A-list celebrity. You've got to come and see such and such. She's having a meltdown in her room. Uh, we think you can help. <laughs> so she grabs two or three of her prophetic girls and they, they run across to this A-lister's dressing room. And they go in and they, they, are you okay? And they dry their tears a little bit. And they say, can we pray for you? And this celebrity goes, yeah, okay. And then she says, in fact, I feel God's telling us to sing over you. 
And there in that little dressing room before the show, these four singers just begin to sing over this celebrity who breaks down in tears and gives her life to Jesus. She goes on to gossip the gospel all over the Australian celebrity scene. Pretty bold stuff. Stepping out and prophesying over people and singing over them. I've got a friend called John. You need to meet Jonathan Conrath. Anybody know Jonathan Conrath? Give me a remarkable guy. And John is a really good friend of mine. And uh, somebody asked me, how do you keep your culture going? I have lots of friends who live in the same culture. And that's what stirs it. Your, your allegiances help you design what you got. Think of the fivefold as the five valves of an engine. Whatever you're missing in your church, go find someone who's got it and make them a friend. And out of partnership comes power. So I've got a friend called John. And um, he, he is wild. He's raised the dead in this country. He's raised the dead around the world. Just seen remarkable, remar- you know, miracles, creative miracles are just commonplace. They saw some last week in Hull, or maybe it was the week before in Hull. Just, just doing remarkable stuff. And one day he was in, I can't remember, I think it was Uganda. I think he was in Uganda. And he took his, his, um, his, his brother. Him and his brother were in Uganda. And they were doing, you know, four or five days of a conference stroke crusade thing. And they pray in the day, what do we want to see tonight? Well, God, we want to see blind eyes and deaf ears open. And they prayed about it, and then they went out that evening and saw it. Then the next day, it was something like, let's pray that people would pop out of wheelchairs or get off stretches. And, and then that evening, they'd see it. And they're on about the fourth or fifth night, praying for more and more wild stuff. And they were, they were on this fourth day, something like that, and they said to each other, it's like revival. Literally, the wind of the Spirit blew into the auditorium at times. It's the most incredible week and and he said so look you know blind eyes deaf ears people getting out of wheelchairs now what have we got left to pray for and john's brother said well we haven't seen the dead raised so honestly can you believe there's christians alive like this they said well let's pray that we see the dead raised tonight and they got together and they prayed and they stomped knowing jonathan oh come on jesus Then that night, the service is going on. The worship's happening. They're sat on the stage. And halfway through the worship, suddenly the crowd parts and four men are carrying a woman. And they dump her in front of the platform. And John turns to his brother. His brother turns to him. What do you think to that? And he said, I think she's dead. (laughs) So they jumped off the stage. And he stood right over her, legs either side. And he pointed at her chest. He said, in the name of Jesus, I command the spirit of death to leave you right now. And for you to return to this place in Jesus' name now. And as he said now, she took a massive inhalation of breath. Her eyes opened. She looked down and said, where have the tumors gone? She said, I know I had died and I was heading, it felt like, up towards the heavens. And then I heard your voice calling me back. And suddenly, I'm back in my body, alive. Praying. I mean, did anybody pray this weekend? Let's pray for the dead to be raised. I mean, who's got a volunteer as a subject, right? It's like flatliners. Come on, who's first? Do you trust us? We've got our help plates on. You're our experiment, right? I got friends like John. I got a friend called Dan, American friend. He's the guy with the resurrection team in his church that's seen nine raised from the dead. And um, there's a reason I'm telling you these stories. I will get to it. But they're inspiring anyway, aren't they? I just get me salivating. I don't know about you. Dan used to do a lot of work with the underground church in China. And, and he's, he's, he's on one of his trips. And he's, he's going to head to China. And he talks to the, to the church leader that he's going to meet. And he, and he says to him, so... Where shall I meet you? 
And the leader goes, well, I can't tell you. You just listen to the Holy Spirit and he'll get you there. And we'll meet. Don't worry. I'll listen to the Holy Spirit. You listen to the Holy Spirit. We'll meet. Okay. <laughs> That's going to up your prophetic gifting, right? <laughs> so he's, he's carrying Bibles through the border post. He's in a queue and he's noticing every single bag is being opened and checked thoroughly. So now he's starting to panic a little bit as he's got these Bibles in his case. Jesus, you know, what shall I do? And the Holy Spirit just said to him, when I tell you to run, run. <laughs> I mean, if I thought my run story was bad, this is a proper run story, right? When I say run, run. So he's shuffling along thinking, what? And then he gets about three people out and the Holy Spirit says, run! And he just runs straight past the guard. And then the Holy Spirit speaks to him as he runs with all of his might. Left, turn right, turn left, go over the road, turn left. Turn right again. Get behind out there. Now come out. Turn that way. Cross the road. See that lamppost? Stand under it. He walks over to the lamppost and the Chinese pastor walks out. Good to see you. <laughs> There's a Russian pastor who was starting a Bible school. He was very disappointed that only about three people had signed up for it. And he was in prayer one morning. And the Holy Spirit just said to him, go to the train station now. And, you know, no, I'm trying to concentrate on my scriptures and pray. No, go to the train station now. He gets in the car, goes to the train station. There's a family there, husband, wife, two children. The wife can speak a little bit of English. He can speak English. So they start to converse in English. They look a bit lost. She said, are you okay? Can I help you? And she said, well, you're not going to believe this. But three months ago, my, my husband is a wealthy businessman. Three months ago, God told us to sell everything. And to come to this train station and stand on this platform to come to Bible school. And that someone would come to meet us. And he said, well, I guess I'm the guy that you've come to meet. Three days later, in his prayer time, the Holy Spirit says, go to the train station. Goes, picks up someone else. 180 something, I think it was 184 people turned up just as God kept saying, go back. Pick more up. Go back. Pick more up. That little Bible school began to blaze revival around Russia. See, something happens. I, don't know, but I, I, I find these guys so bold. Anybody else? I love the stories of Smith Wigglesworth, right? You know, he picks up a dead body and punches it. Once, nothing. Twice, nothing. You'd think third time, pretty spiritual number, right? 144,000 is pretty spiritual too. You'd be there all day, wouldn't you? But... Third time, nothing. I don't know about you, I'd be panicking. But this guy is hooked on something beyond his own logic and his own fears. Picks him up a fourth time, a fifth time, a sixth time. The seventh time the man comes back to life. Smith is handed a dead baby. He kicks it across the stage. I don't know about you, we already had problems. <laughs> the baby arrives at the other end alive. I just feel that anointing this morning. And, and also the spit thing is coming back. I can feel it. What about the guy that was coming back from a healing conference at Bethel Reading? And, and he's, he's on the plane and, and uh, the, the air stewardess has given him a drink. And he notices she's kind of clutching a bit of a bad back. He says, you got a bad back? She said, oh, yeah. He said, I've just been from a healing conference. Would you like me to pray for you? He said, oh, yes, please. So he very quickly puts his hand on the back, prays for her. She's instantly healed. 
He said, I'll have my drink now, please. Thank you very much. Puts the drink down. And, and then a, a few minutes later, he hears over the tannoy, ladies and gentlemen, there's a man here who can heal the sick. <laughs> if you have any kind of medical problems, make your way to the front of the plane, and I'm sure he'll be happy to pray for you. He's, what? At 30,000 feet, he begins to pray for people at the front of the plane. They're going down. Four rows back, there's another guy. Been to the same conference. He goes, I'll catch. <laughs> 30,000 feet. <laughs> I don't know about I love this. I love these stories. I've got a friend called Henny in South Africa. He's an apostolic figure. His wife had just died, and he's, he's walking through Pretoria. His proper apostle, okay, wears a suit. And always carries like a donkey choker of a Bible. A Thompson chain reference, nothing less. Huge Bible. And he's walking through Pretoria and it, it, one evening. And, it, and, as he, and as he walks past this nightclub, the Spirit of God says to him, go into the nightclub. He said, older, respectable man, just lost his wife. Well known in the city. Uh, go into the nightclub. He said, I've never been in a den of iniquity in my life and I don't intend to start tonight. Thank you very much. Go into the nightclub. He has a little argue with God for 10 minutes outside, and then he goes into the nightclub. He stands looking over the dance floor, which is in full flow, in his suit with his Thompson chain reference, looking out over there. And there's a woman dancing in the middle of the, of the floor. She, she is what she looks like. She's a prostitute. And God says, go dance with that woman. He's like, oh, come on. I can just see the, the headlines now. Apostolic figure recently bereaved, dancing with prostitute in nightclub. No. So he has an argue with God, and then he eventually says, so I, I headed out onto the dance floor, and I danced like a granddad at a party, you know, with my Bible. And then, and then God said, ask her if she wants a drink. So he says, would you like a drink? Pardon? Would you like a drink? Yes, okay. They head over to the bar. He said he got whatever he got whatever she asked for, and then he said he asked for a glass of milk. I don't know if he ever got it, but he, he asked for a glass of milk. And he has a little chat, and and then he says, "Look, I, I'm a I'm a pastor. I'm a man of God. I, I I'm I'm not here to talk to you about your services, but just God has led me here to talk to you. Can we meet somewhere public tomorrow? Maybe a coffee shop, and we could talk. And maybe God wants me to help you." So the next day they met, and out came the story of her life, rape, drug abuse, child abuse, leading to prostitution, all the things that went on. And there in that little coffee shop, he leads her to Jesus. And then a work that sees hundreds of prostitutes saved begins. All because one older guy was still able to hear God say, you've never heard this before. Go into that nightclub. And everything in his religious spirit would have been going nuts. But the voice of God was still louder than his religious spirit. I love these stories, don't you? I could listen to them all day, don't you? Okay, now my confession. Are you ready? I told you lots of stories about my friends. If I'm really honest... While they're great stories, um, such levels of boldness thoroughly intimidate me. I like the end of the story, but I know I probably couldn't hack the start of the story. Anybody? How, who would have given up when the Chinese passenger says, you just listen, I know you're fine. 
run. No, 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 I've dumped the Bibles. Hello, you know. <laughs> no, that's not mine. <laughs> How many of us give up after six punches? And let's be honest about who, who, who we are. I don't know. Such, but genuinely, I'm not that brave. I'm the kind of guy that does outreach. I walk up the path to do door-to-door praying that they're not in. Anybody ever do that? (laughs) Please, God, no one. I'm an introvert. The last thing you ever want to do is invite me to a party. I'm a tiny bit socially awkward. I suffer with the thing that most people in a room anywhere suffer with at times, imposter syndrome. Like everyone else is worthy of being there except for you. Anybody ever that? Three directors. It's part of our brokenness. Three directors. One of them was newly appointed in this, in this large business, and they're having their first lunch together. And in a moment of rare authenticity, the new guy opens up. He said, to be honest, I'm just waiting for you guys to find out that I can't really do this. And the other two look at him and go, you too? <laughs> and I think it's the broken reality that we all feel like that about a lot of things. There's very few things in life where we really feel skilled. And we're probably the worst generation ever at looking at a shiny website or a man of God on TV and going, well, he probably glows in the dark, that's why. There's just something, you know, I'm not, I'm not Benny. I've tried to quiff the hair. I've even bought the white suits, but I, you know. I just imagine when Benny wakes up, there are angels singing in his room, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the father says, glory, Benny's awake. <laughs> right. And Benny just, he just kind of floats. He probably, he probably smells great. I don't know about, when I wake up in the morning, my hair's everywhere. My bald patch, my bald patch is showing. And I, I kind of, you know, I'm sure Benny's, hallelujah. And he probably stands at the bottom of that bed and the, and, and the white suit is like Iron Man. He puts his arm down. Ready to go. Hallelujah. Bring me my breakfast. Hallelujah. I'm not Reinhardt. When Reinhardt wakes up, you know, sometimes I'm wondering, you know, do you ever do your Bible reading plan? And you think, I'm going to do the Bible in one year. And then you get to numbers. And I'm sure Reinhard wakes up and the Bible's there by the side of his bed. And, and it, he probably just opens his eyes and all of heaven go, hallelujah. Especially now Billy's gone. Reinhard's the only one left. Come on. <laughs> and I'm sure Reinhard probably looks at the page and it flips to the right one. And the words of God kind of shine up. I know the word of the Lord. And he looks at his wife, good morning, wife. I can't remember his wife's name. What's his wife's name? Should be something like Suzanne or something more. (sighs) And I bet his breath smells of mint all the time. (laughs) Good morning. Me, I just look a mess in the morning. Reinhard says, good morning, Lord. I say, good Lord, it's morning. I don't know about you, right? I'm sure their prayer lives, they just work. They're such men of God. They've got it sorted. They've got the flesh thing sorted. I'm sure they probably glow in the dark. But I'm not that bold. I'm not that shiny. Anybody else? I know me. I'm broken still. Not in any kind of great moral failure, but I'm still aware of my inconsistencies and insecurities. And I go, 
God. And my, my biggest thing with regard to what we're talking about this morning is, I'm not very bold. Because the danger might be of stories like this morning is that the kingdom of God belongs to the extroverts. Any introverts in the room? And you might, now, I know what I'm doing now. It's like you can meet a lot of actors who can get up and do the thing as a communication gift, but you meet me outside of this, um, I actually, you know, fairly quiet and happy. I, I am my best company. <laughs> and all the introverts went, I know what you mean. And all the extroverts were like, you weirdo, you know. I spend a lot of my life fighting dullness. I used, to, I, I used to be itinerant. It was great. All you do when you're itinerant is polish your gifts every day and go use them. Now I'm involved in employment law. Spreadsheets. You know, spreadsheets are of the devil. They must be, right? They must be. All the stuff we have. I spend half of most of the meetings I'm in going, Jesus never had to do that. Risk assessments. We had a, we had a big meeting the other week, like, you know, like, Hundreds of people and there's kind of bodies everywhere. And we had to do risk assessments on the move of the Holy Spirit. I tell you, that's really hard. <laughs> but we, we had a meeting in this particular hall um, it, it, uh, about eight years ago. A woman fell down and whacked her head on a wheelchair and bled. She wasn't from our church, so it didn't matter. <laughs> no, actually, she's in our church now. So if you get a head injury, it means you're heading our way. That's what I always think. But, you know, stuff goes on, and now you've got to do risk assessments and ensure everything that moves and child protection. Yeah, they'll be all right. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. We're quite hot on that one. I, I just found the child protection officer in that church. There you go. Either that or she's a school teacher, right? No, I'm quite hot on that one because I've got a son now. I actually care. Right? <laughs> And I find all of this stuff, it, it makes us dull. And then we're faced with the pressure of shiny Christians on the TV and on some of the ground. And I love them to bits. I don't have a, 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 an axe to grind with any part of the church anywhere. I love the church. Full stop. If you don't like Benny, I don't get you. He's fun. <laughs> Every time I mention Benny on Facebook, it's like 73 comments later. Okay, people don't like him, I guess. Joel Osteen, what's wrong with that? A guy that smiles. Give me more of those in my church, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> right? I think we've got to learn to love the church, but anyway, that's going off subject. I get dull. Do you ever feel a little bit dysfunctional? Am I normal? Don't know. Do you ever go through the thing as a leader? Are we doing this right? Don't know what I'm doing. And so we get awash, I can anyway, with an awareness of my brokenness. So really my point this morning is I've worked out how broken people can be bold because I'm not naturally bold. So that's the point of the Bible. It's weak becoming strong, genuinely. That's not a, that's not a preacher's saying. And you're a little bit weak and you become a little bit strong. No, it's genuinely are not becoming world changers. God has a way of doing it. And it doesn't mean that all the introverts have to become extroverts in order to see the kingdom of God come. Suddenly, loud equals godly. 
there's a dynamic whereby God does something in us. And I think, I think of scared Peter by the fireside denying Christ. And then bold Peter is the one to get up and preach to those thousands on the first great revival crusade of the early church. Peter was the guy. Peter was the denier, so he was aware of his dysfunction. And yet Peter was so bold. Strangely, later on in Peter's life, we discover he still had a problem with fear. It never went away. In other words, he stayed broken. Isn't that interesting? But in the book of Acts, chapter 2, the thing that seemed to make this weak man strong, this scared man bold, this ordinary man extraordinary, was simply the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. See, the only time I'm really brave is when he fills me. I don't mean I live in, in fear. I just mean I have no interest in being bold and brash. But when he comes on me, something happens. It's like drunk men. I used to live in Gibraltar. So whenever the Navy ships were in, it was fun. They'd all get completely sozzled. There you go. We even got the sound effects, right? Just like that. You'd hear it down the street. Huh? And I'd hear them outside my bedroom window. I love you, man. And these burly sailors will be hugging or fighting. <laughs> Thank you so much. This well-organized conference. So it happens from, you know, and so again, we've got this, this relation between the dynamics of drunk. It, it's affecting your normal system. It, you're becoming less inhibited. <laughs> you couldn't make this stuff up. This is, this is great. <laughs> I've seen some of the shyest people hit by the Holy Spirit and not stop laughing for three hours till they ache side to side. And actually, in life, they're quiet as a mouse. And if we, and really it's the recurring theme of the weekend, if we get back to his presence, and this is really important. See, a lot of people miss Toronto because it was a phenomenon. They even call it an it. it. I was going through a little bit of a crisis when the move in 1994 hit my life. And so I didn't even think in terms of the word Toronto. It was... It was, it was <laughs> a he. You know, there was something relational happened, something about the voice of God happened in, in me. And, uh, and so it, it hooked into a relationship that, that kept going because this, my little discovery was in the presence, there's a voice. A man cannot live by bread alone, but he does live by every word that pours out of the mouth of God. And that, that, that literally is the utterances of God Every day. Psalm 139, how, how, how many are your thoughts concerning me? How precious are your thoughts concerning me? Oh God, if I were to number them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. God has more thoughts about you than there are grains of sand on the seashores of the world. Shut up. How many? <laughs> so here's the thought. How many of God's thoughts about you have you heard? 
because I have found his thoughts are better than mine. And when I hear his thoughts, they create stuff in me, just like the very first creation. In Genesis 1, God didn't just speak everything into being out of nothing, did he? he? There were certain things that he said, let there be light. But then he spoke to the ground and said to the ground, bring forth living creatures. And the ground began to move and change and form as elephants came out of the ground. They didn't just appear. He spoke to what existed and turned it into something else. And that's what God does with us. He speaks to the ground of our lives through the thoughts that we hear, the prophecies, the words that he speaks, that we find in his presence, the postman of God. And as he speaks to us, we're formed into new creatures in him. He speaks to us. He says, prophet, come forth. And a prophet arises out of this brokenness of who we are. It begins by being in his presence. It begins like that little story I told at the very beginning of sitting down in a little flat and just giving God eight hours with a pad and a pen and a Bible and just saying, God, speak. And in that quiet place of hearing, something breaks out within us. If we got back to the presence and if we just got back to the voice, what would happen? A camera crew were going around our church doing interviews about the miraculous and stuff like that. And it got near the end of the day and it was my turn to be interviewed and came into my office. And we were going through the, all the way through the interview, the girl that was doing the sound, so she had like a boom with a fluffy thing at the end. You know, the one that she's talking about, she's got head pain, she's obviously got a problem. She's, she's having tests. They're worried now that it's something quite sinister and and, all this. and this is going on in between the takes. And I'm there talking about miracles and healings. And I'm showing them videos of Reinhardt and the dead being raised and all that kind of stuff. And going for it and having fun. And I think, oh, just add, let me stir up these unsaved people about what God does today. And then I, I finish my interview and I'm heading off to the church kitchen to go and get them some drinks. And I'm halfway to the kitchen. And all God had to say was, well, then. Yes. As if I didn't know what he meant. Well, then. Yeah, but look, they're not Christians and they've got cameras. What if it, it's your glory I'm thinking of. <laughs> Aren't we full of nonsense, right? <laughs> what if it doesn't work? It'll discredit everything they've recorded all day. So I have a little argue with God while I get the drinks and I'm still arguing as I head back. And then there's that little moment when you go, there just comes a moment. Okay, yeah, let's give it a, right? And I'll be straight with you. Maybe a third of the don't work. But the more you do it, the more you start to feel, yeah, that was his voice. When his voice speaks, I, I don't think I've ever known the voice of God speak and a miracle not happen. I've misheard. But so there was the same voice I'd heard speak to me about so many simple things through life and it proved accurate. And there he was just going, well then. He was guiding me with his eye. I'm saying my mum used to guide me with her eye, right? You know, I was the youngest, so I used to go, "What's wrong with your eye, mum?" You know. So I, I put the tray down, and I'm just, you know, that's it. Well, here goes. So you know, we're talking about healing and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, there's something wrong. Would you like me to pray for you now? Let's pray that God would heal you right here and now. And she said, "What most non-Christians say when you offer to pray, but oh, that would be lovely." And then it came out my mouth. Does that anything come out of your mouth? And you go, what are you doing? Come. Why don't we roll the cameras? This will be good for your documentary. I'm going, no! 
Oh, plonker. So she sits down, they're rolling the cameras. I, I didn't physically touch her at all. I just put my hand near her head and I said, Jesus, she closed her eyes. I said, Jesus, would you just fill this woman with your presence? Would you heal her right now? And we sat in silence for a minute or two. And then she just opened her eyes and she said, that's freaky. I said, what's freaky? I can feel this peace moving inside me. So that's the, whole, that's the presence of God. That's God saying hello. He wants to know you. But how's your head? She said, oh, the pain went the moment you put your hand near my head. For the rest, what was left of the day, as they walked around the crowd that evening, I could see this fluffy thing wobbling as she was shaking under the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't know about you. See, it's the voice that makes me bold. Because when I've got something from it, I, it's not that I'm interested in being bold, but I really am as committed as I can be to being obedient. And he, I have days when I say sorry six, eight, ten times a day, missed that one, or oh, feeling a bit cowardly. But every time I can get that voice and go, okay, let's, it's him, let's step out, something happens. The voice gives me boldness. When he speaks... Something of another order takes place because I know I'm lining up with his will. I'm like, okay, it's not about boldness. Now it's about obedience. It's not about bravery. It's just I'm just going to do what the boss says. I was in a meeting in, in Scotland and, and um, <clears throat> I'd had some word and, words of knowledge and people were lining up along the front for various things. And, and, and I did what we often do in church life. I got that bit right. And then I went into another mode of, right, well, I'll just... So I'll lay hands and look spiritual, Jesus' name. So I did a bit of Pentecostal shampooing and, you know, and I'm, and I'm amen, Jesus. Nothing was happening along the line. I'm, I'm third, fourth person in. Outside, I'm looking like the man of God. Inside, I'm going, nothing's happening, God. So I say Jesus louder, maybe, Jesus, you know, and impersonate Reinhard, hallelujah, nothing. White suit, no, no, I didn't do that. No, I and so I, outside, I'm doing the man of God thing. Inside, I'm going, what's going on, God? There's no power here. And this is what he said to me. He said, you're on autopilot. You're doing this and looking spiritual. But the authority is in the voice. What shall I do? Start again. So guys, I'm just going to start again. And he said to me, just do what I tell you to do. We instantly go into the mode of close your eyes, hands on. We're praying around the houses. None of that matters a thing. He just said, heal the sick. By his voice, we find the miraculous power of God. So I said, okay, God, what shall I do? He said, blow on her. I said, God, I had garlic last night. She's going down, whatever. <laughs> he said, just blow it. So I blew. The power of God came. The next one was a lovely lady, older lady, dressed like an elder's wife. You know, was really. And he said to me, I want you to say, come out, unclean spirit. I thought, no. <laughs> All the way down the line, I obeyed God. Some he just said, stand still. And wait. And about a minute in, the power of God will come. People were healed of incurable diseases in that line. Nobody looked like a man of God. Nobody felt in control. It was just, do what I say. And the presence in you turns into the power outside you. It is the voice that takes what we feel almost as an emotion and becomes a power in the earth. His voice roars and shakes the earth in which we live. It's in the voice. One lady, she fell to the ground. As she hit the ground, she went into a vision. She said, I was walking through a garden 
And I met a man in the garden and he turned around and he had nail prints in his wrists and he said, I did this for you. The moment he said that, she was healed of an incurable disease. Isn't that incredible? But I could go along doing my autopilot. I know I know what church, oil, Ribena, I know what church looks like. I'll do my stuff. And instead he's just going, will you just listen? Don't start listening and end up in culture. Listen. If we get back quietly and simply to the voice of God, then the other thing that makes me bold, because I'm not bold naturally, is the plain presence of God. If we put ourselves in the roar of his waterfall, something happens in who I am. I get braver. I was about to, to uh, uh, speak at a meeting um, in, in Scotland, in, in Dumfries a few months ago, and I'm on the front row, and it had, it had been all right. And then I had one of our worship leaders with us. I said, get him to do, do a song. And this guy, he lives in heaven, so when he plays, heaven comes to earth, right? So he said, go and do a song before I get up. And he got up, and he started to play something and sing something. And I'm telling you, it's like the glory of God just hit me. I was like, ooh, and I get this funny thing. There's all sorts of different sensations you can get. They're all irrelevant, really, and very personal, but I just felt it's like a hand pushing me like this. And I'm like, oh, oh, God, what, what, whoa, what's this? And then just, God just whispered, deaf ears. So I'm like, all right. And, and I went from this, oh, I wonder what we're going to do tonight, into give me the deaf ears. And oh, you get up there and you, right, everybody that's deaf, get out here. Within two minutes, three deaf ears had opened. There's something about his presence coming on us. It's not about our personality. It's about his. We really are a fusion of God's spirit and, and our own personalities. And so when the spirit is going to move, it is like Samson where it says, and the spirit of God came on him and he defeated the enemies. And it says of Gideon, and the spirit of God came on him and he called the people into stuff. It's like Peter in the book of Acts, and the spirit of God came on him and he preached. The boldness that we need is in the presence it's not you being braver it's us being smaller and him being stronger and suddenly here's a great saying for life all right if you see a turtle on a fence post you know he had some help you get it if you see a man or woman of God doing anything extraordinary Stop thinking it's them. They've gone somewhere. They've found something beyond them. They've brought it back to earth. And <laughs> it's got, I was going to use the corny line, it's royal rose we don't deserve, right? As somebody once wrote. Because yeah. that wasn't really about righteousness when I wrote it. I was experiencing a move of the glory of God. And what it is actually about is God wrapping us in his glory and going, we just don't deserve this. And that, that's the move of God that's coming. Gospel really is his goodness on our brokenness. And as he moves through us, he also heals who we are. Push into the presence and linger. We were saying this in the leaders meeting yesterday. We had a little, little chat and, and we're talking about various stuff and I think stuff like seeking God is a lost art. There's a whole generation. I, 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 I end up in streams all the time, and they don't know what you mean when I just say, well, why don't you just seek God? What does that mean? Not pray. Don't pray for the missionaries. Don't pray for revival. Seek his face. Well, for how long? Well, I've done it for a month at a time at times. Seek his 
face. The word face and presence are interchangeable in the Bible, same word. Seek his presence. And to quote Hosea 6 that we looked at yesterday, when we press in to experience his presence, he comes like the rain. So real simple as we end. And we're going to pray. Is that all right? Um, as we press into the presence and find his voice, my experience is I've found boldness for my brokenness. The truth is all of my friends are just like me. And I'm sure Benny and Reinar don't glow in the dark. It's all about broken men in God's divine presence. And something breaks out. Amen. And so what I, I feel this morning, where we started was Moses pitching his tent of meeting. I believe there's a tent of meeting season coming to some of you. Would you stand? Let's stand together here in God's presence just so you've got a change of scene. Or oh, maybe the musicians could help us to feel spiritual. Is that okay? Thank you, guys. You've been outstanding, really. I'm sorry. Just outstanding. And I'm, I'm sorry for the people that got sacked. But I like the cheeky. I like the cheeky guy there. He was, he was, he was cool. Although you did that. I've never heard King of Kings done like that before. But anyway. No, thank you. You guys are nuts. Just, just stand. Before, before you start to play, just close your eyes. Just Holy Spirit, would you come right now? There he, there he is. There he is. There, there, there he is. There's just, he's coming to your heart. Again and again, I've, I've prayed for so many people to usher them into a season of encounter. Because everything we long for comes out of that source. And I just believe, and I don't do it often, but I believe he wants to release that, that you as a movement are going into a season of encounter. Some of you are going to be locked in with God in the secret place. It's, 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 some of my leaders have said in seasons like that, I've been born again, again. Jesus. That's, no, go for it. That's good. Yeah, it's fine. Just play that. A nice Jurassic Park drone in the background. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming. <laughs> Don't you think God's fun? I think God's fun. If you feel that's a word, not, not about Jurassic Park. <laughs> But if you felt a stirring this weekend, I, I know I need to go. Some of you ministers need to take sabbaticals. And I mean prayer sabbaticals, not information sabbaticals. Some of you, I know you've been stirred and go, you know, the man I was at 19, I'm not today. I want, I want the fire. I know I've got more knowledge, but I want the fire of that passion that I would pray all night and just get lost in it. And I was doing it just for the one thing of knowing him. Mary and Martha. You know, Mary sat at Jesus' feet. 
Well, that's because it was Martha's house, so she was busy being distracted, one of the versions says. It's always hard when it's your house. You've got to do all the organizing while the visitors sit at the feet. But Jesus was kind of saying, look, one of the versions says, you only need a few things or just one. In other words, he's recognizing there are a few things we need to do. We need to keep the kids safe. We need the employment law. Don't get taken up with them. A few things are needed, but one. It's that tension of, yes, we've got to do some practical stuff, but we must be in love with Jesus. We must be ablaze with his presence. And if you want to say, God, I want to go into a season of the tent of meeting. I want to be shut in. I want, I want a season when it's easier to pray than not to. God, I want you to just put your blowtorch on my heart. Just, just, just do, do something. Make your way to the front or kneel at the side. Step out from where you are. Let's have a moment of response this morning. And let the worship music play and let your heart cry out to God. Use all the space. Don't feel trapped by the rose. And I just believe he is overshadowing you as a movement. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God will rest overshadowed by him. I just see the wings of heaven coming over you. He's shutting you in. There he is. There he is. There he is. He's shutting you in. He's shutting you in. He's drawing you up the mountain into the presence, into the place of the voice where boldness is waiting. He doesn't have to change your personality, but he will dress you in himself. He will dress you in himself. He will dress you in himself. coming glory is coming glory is coming the goodness of God made visible glory tell him your longings let his presence saturate you Calling you up. 
come up here. Come up here and let me show you. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven.
how he lifts me it was never in our own strength he never gave us a, he never gave us a vision for us to fulfill it he was telling us what he was going to do he was telling us what he was going to do they were his dreams not ours they were his dreams not ours they were his dreams not ours still and know that I'm God. That means put down your tools. 